1: Hello and welcome to episode number 61 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this week we're continuing on our little mini-series talking about the UNESCO World Heritage Sites of Scotland. This week we're going to be talking about the Forth Bridge. So join me for episode number 61 of the Scottish History Podcast. So welcome again to episode number 61 and episode 3 of this little tour of Scotland's UNESCO World Heritage Site Series thing that we've got going on. This week we move on to talk about the second site as technically the old and new towns that we focused on in the sort of first and second episode. uh, The old and new towns of Edinburgh are just one designated UNESCO site. The Forth Bridge itself sits just outside of Edinburgh and perhaps if it did exist during the time of Alexander III of Scots, the Wars of Independence would have never have happened. But that's by the by. The world famous and iconic Forth Bridge is a railway bridge that crosses over the Firth of Forth between North Queensferry in Fife and South Queensferry in Edinburgh. The term Firth is derived from the Norse word fjord, meaning narrow inlet. However, the Firth of Forth is arguably far from narrow. The term Forth, which is spelt F-O-R-T-H, not like fourth as in 1, 2, 3, 4, um, means slow running. The term, however, also seems to have come from the fourth Glacier that carved out this fjord during the last Ice Age. The River Forth that flows into the Firth is one of Scotland's major rivers, however it isn't even close to being one of the longest rivers. The River Forth is only 47 kilometres or 29 miles in length and when you compare that to the longest river in Scotland, the River Tay, at 188 kilometres or 117 miles in length. The River Forth begins at Loch Ard near the village of Aberfoyle and subsequently runs through the city of Stirling, past Alloa, Kincardin and Grangemouth until eventually reaching the Firth of Forth. The River Forth boasts many landmarks, most of them rather ugly, along its way. From the huge petrochemical plant at Grangemouth, the ship-breaking facility at Inverkeithing, and the naval dockyard at Rosyth. Once the Firth opens at Queensferry, however, the span is over 1.25 miles. Now, we did talk before about St Margaret and the Queen's Ferry back in episode number 45. So, if you don't know too much about Queen's Ferry or why it's called Queen's Ferry, where the idea came from, etc., head back to episode 45 to learn more on that. But basically, just to quickly remind you, Queen Margaret of Scotland, she set up a ferry to take pilgrims across the Firth of Forth in the 11th century, hence the term Queen's ferry. However, this may not have been the first crossing available across the Firth of Forth. It is believed possible that the Roman Emperor Septimius Severus may have had a bridge built made out of 500 wooden boats in circa 208 AD during the Roman campaign here in Scotland. Now, we are going to be talking a little bit more about the Roman campaign in next week's episode. The bridge may have first of all stretched to the island of Inchgarvey in the middle of the Firth of Forth, which would have created a bridge in length roughly about two kilometres or the 1.25 miles it would take to cross over the Firth. It seems, however, of course, that this bridge didn't last very long. As rail travel was starting to become more popular, including the demand for people to travel from Edinburgh to the north of Scotland, and of course, really, uh, this bridge actually set up uh, a rail link from London all the way up to Aberdeen, for example. Something had to be done in order to achieve this. The first step was actually the creation of a man called Thomas Bouch, whose world's first train ferry came along. This is where locomotives loaded with passenger coaches was then loaded onto a ferry at a place called Granton again uh, in Edinburgh and another locomotive would take over at Burnt Island in Fife once the ferry had crossed over the Firth. In August of 1873, the North British Railway Company finally got the authority to build a bridge over the Firth of Forth. The aforementioned Thomas Bouch was chosen to design the new suspension bridge and work started on that in 1878. A major problem arose, however, on the 28th of December 1879. Thomas Bouch had previously designed the Tay Rail Bridge, which unfortunately collapsed, causing the deaths of over 60 people. Now, the T-bridge disaster is something that I've wanted to cover uh, and will eventually cover in a future episode. Now, this terrible incident led to the work on the fourth bridge stopping immediately and Boucher's suspension bridge plans were completely scrapped by 1881. The newly formed Fourth Bridge Railway Company, which was managed jointly by three companies that had the most to gain if a bridge was built, those being the North British Railway, the Midland Railway, and the Northeastern and Great Northern Railways as well. They invited new designs for the Fourth Bridge, which had to adhere to two very strict stipulations. The first of those being that the Fourth Had to remain a navigable channel for ships and boats. The second stipulation was that the bridge must be rigid and stiff and capable of carrying the heaviest of freight trains. The second of these stipulations obviously followed concerns of a repeat of the Tay Bridge disaster. The bridge was to, like the suspected Roman Bridge, to use Inchgarvey Island as part of the structure. Now, After standing as expert witnesses during the investigation into the cause of the Tay Rail Bridge disaster, engineers Benjamin Baker and John Fowler were chosen to design what is called a cantilever bridge across the Forth. Now I'll try to not keep this po- or I try to keep this podcast not very scientifically minded in a way because even a lot of it was starting to confuse me. If you want to learn more about cantilever bridges, there are plenty of images and of course Wikipedia pages etc which explain how a cantilever bridge works. Now, again, I sort of understand it, but I don't fully understand it enough to explain it kind of properly. Um, So I do recommend that you head across and um, search that up if you don't quite know what a cantilever bridge is. For those of you that live in uh, Canada, for example, in Quebec, there is the longest uh, cantilever bridge in the world is now in Quebec. It used to be the fourth bridge um, spoiler alert there, uh, and they actually have another bridge right next to the Quebec Bridge, which looks exactly the same as the 4th Road Bridge built later on, which is which baffled me when I looked at it. I thought it was quite incredible that that even happened. But, uh, but anyway, so Benjamin uh, Baker and John Fowler were chosen to design a cantilever bridge to cross over the 4th. Now, it's time for some figures, so I do have some figures here for you. The bridge itself features three double cantilevers that have two suspended spans of bridge which reach up to 1,700 feet or 518 metres between them. The rail level sits 150 feet or 46 metres above the water at high tide allowing ships to pass underneath. Stipulation number one completed. Each tower has four steel tubes that are 12 feet or 3.7 meters in diameter and sit 361 feet, 110 meters above the highest tide. The foundation steel extends a further 89 feet or 27 meters into the riverbed, making the total height from the foundations to the top of the towers 450 feet or 137 metres. The total length of the fourth bridge is 2,467 metres, making that 1.5 miles, making it the longest bridge built at that time. The bridge features 53,000 tonnes of steel, some of it made in Wales, but the majority of it made in Glasgow in Scotland. The bridge is held together with over 6.5 million steel rivets. That alone would weigh 4,200 tonnes just in rivets. The first watertight caisson chamber was floated into position to build the bridge on the 26th of May 1884. By 1886 all the foundations were complete and William Arrow’s company completed the structure in just six years by November of 1889. Although, due to cold weather, they did have to wait for the temperature to warm up slightly so that the steel would expand enough for it to be able to fit in the final rivets. The bridge itself cost around £3 million to build and employed a workforce of over 4,600 men. In total, there are 73 deaths that were linked to the building of the bridge. 38 men fell, 9 were crushed, 9 drowned, 8 were hit by fallen objects, 3 were killed in a bothy fire, 1 died of caisson disease, which is basically decompression sickness, and 5 deaths remain unexplained. Now, legend has it that uh, one man fell into a steel tube Um, completely alive and completely fine the other men working on the bridge at that point realised that there was no way to be able to rescue this man from the tubing so they actually came up with this idea of why don't we ask him if he's hungry so again this is all just legend it could be absolute nonsense but I've heard this story numerous times before in that what they did is they, they went to the man and said, yeah, we're going to try and get you out, no problem at all. Are you, are you a wee bit hungry? He says, aye, of course, I'll I'll have a wee something, um, just to tide me over until you can get me out of here. And what the other men actually did was they dropped a sandwich down to him that was laced with arsenic, because there was no way they were going to get him out. Um, again, not entirely sure if that's true, but I thought I would include it uh, in this story anyway. Uh, The bridge was then formally opened on the 4th of March in 1890 by the then Prince of Wales who later became King Edward VII. He drove the last and final gold plated rivet into place. Engineer Benjamin Baker was also then knighted at the same ceremony. Now the main aftercare of the bridge and course falls onto the Painters who would keep up the bridge's amazing oxidised red colour. Unfortunately, however, to repaint the bridge's 230,000 cubic metres of steel, it would take roughly a period of 12 months to paint it. The bridge, ironically, needed to be repainted every 12 months. So for years, you would never actually see the full bridge, with sections covered in scaffolding and cloth. This gave us the saying that when something is a never-ending task, that us Scots would say, it's like repainting the fourth bridge. But between 2001 and 2011, a task was undertaken to fully strip the bridge to bare steel, make necessary repairs and then apply three layers of protective paint this now means that the bridge doesn't need to be repainted for 20 years. This means that in 2031, the bridge will once again go back under the scaffolding and this task will then be done all over again. Now to go back to Thomas Bouch just for a little second, one part of Thomas Bouch's suspension bridge plans does actually exist. But It is just a small pier that was built on Inchgarvey Island, which now houses a very small lighthouse. Now for me, one of the main highlights to be seen on the Forth Bridge is of course, when a steam train locomotive carrying steam rail tours crosses over it. A wonderful sight to see the famous Flying Scotsman locomotive, and more recently the new Tornado steam locomotive crossing over such an iconic structure. Now I have always said that one of my main goals in life is to drive a steam locomotive, the Flying Scotsman obviously, over the 4th Rail Bridge. And despite however many times that I've actually visited the area and taken pictures, pictures of which I will share on our Instagram page, I have never actually crossed over the bridge on a train. Now they are actually about to open, uh, or well, plans have just been drawn up to open a new museum for the for the bridge, and you will actually be able to take walks over the bridge uh, by an experienced guide and things like that, which I would absolutely love to do. So here's hoping, fingers crossed, that I can get to do that when that uh, when that sort of arrives. The fourth Bridge was finally then granted UNESCO World Heritage status on its 125th anniversary and still to this day it carries approximately 200 trains over it every single day transporting roughly 3 million passengers per year. So, folks, that brings us to an end for episode number 61. Thank you again for joining me. If you're joining me for the first time, don't forget to uh, like and subscribe on whatever pages in which that you're listening to this podcast on. You can listen to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even on YouTube as well, but in plenty of other places. If you're having any problems finding out where you can listen to this podcast, please let me know and I will gladly help you out as for as well you're listening on apple podcast please don't forget to leave a little rating i haven't asked for a a few weeks now and i've noticed that i'm not really getting any ratings coming in not that that's what i do this for i just do this really just for the fun of it so uh, once again folks thank you very much for listening Uh, the best place to find me is on the website so head over to scotthistorypod.com you can send me an email through there however if you just want to do it through a normal email address that's scotthistorypod at gmail.com find me on facebook find me on twitter find me on instagram where as i say i'm going to share some pictures that i have taken of the fourth rail bridge as well, folks, if there's for any reason you wish to help support the podcast financially, you can do so via Patreon. That's P A T r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Scott History Pod, and there you can donate either £1 or £3 per month to the podcast um, and that really, really helps out, folks. So once again, thank you very much for listening. I will see you next week. Next week's topic, we are going to be talking about the Antonine Wall. That is another one of Scotland's UNESCO World Heritage sites. So I look forward to bringing you that episode next time. Thank you once again. Speak to you later.